May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Be seated. This week I was talking to a Christian friend who had recently gone on a spiritual retreat. And he said to me in the course of conversation something like, well, after the retreat I was filled with great enthusiasm uh, about getting closer to God and, and, as he put it, becoming a better Christian. But then he said, a few days later, the enthusiasm wore off. And I find myself getting back into old habits and not sticking with what I know I should be doing. I wonder if anybody here can relate to that. You know, he's expressing this frustration that we all feel as Christians. We we want to be better Christians. We want to grow to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to grow in holiness and in sanctification. But too often we find ourselves making some progress in the midst of enthusiasm and then sliding backwards. And we get bogged down into sinful patterns and habits. And the danger at that point is this. The danger is that we get comfortable with our sin. And we can begin to rationalize and say, well, this is just my temperament. This is just who I am. And even worse, we can begin to think, well, after all, I'm saved by grace, so it doesn't matter how I live. Saved by grace through faith, so it doesn't matter what my lifestyle is. Well, that's what Paul is addressing, that attitude in Romans chapter 6. This idea, this thought that, that perhaps because we're saved by grace, it doesn't really matter how we live. We can just kind of fly the white flag of surrender when it comes to the battle against sin and temptation. But listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. Or as another translation puts it, may it never be. May it never be. So Christians are not to use God's grace as a license sin. To put it another way, Christians are not to abuse God's grace as a license for sin. Because this is not who God calls us to be. And that's really the key idea in this passage of Scripture. Romans 6, 1. The key idea is to remember our identity. Remember you are in Christ Jesus. Remember you are one with Christ. Remember that you belong. You belong to Jesus. And see, when we believe this, and when we own this identity, when we claim this identity, when we live by that identity, that I am one with Christ, that I belong to Him, that's what will help us in our battle against sin and against temptation. So there are two elements to this identity that the Apostle talks about in Romans 6. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. One is we've died. And one is we live. We've died to sin through Christ. And yet we've been raised to new life through Christ. We live now to God as he puts it. So let's look at that first idea here. That we have died to sin through Jesus Christ. Just read some of the things that Paul says. 
in verses 2 and 3. How can we who, listen, died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, we're going to get to the baptism connection at the end of the sermon, but I just want you to note what Paul is saying here, that in Christ we have died to sin. Hmm. And then in verse 6, he writes this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Paul is teaching here something remarkable, something mysterious, that if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we are so united to him. There is such a tight connection between Christ and the Christian that by Jesus' death, we experience a death, which is the death of the old self. We've died to sin. Now, you might be asking the question, Is Paul teaching this idea that we can achieve some sort of sinless perfection? Uh, When I posed that question in the first service, somebody laughed out loud, and that's maybe how you're reacting too. Because uh, if that's the case, if Paul is teaching that a Christian can achieve sinless perfection, well then, for a lot of us, that's not good news. Because that's not our experience. That's not our experience. I'm still a sinner. I still struggle with sin. Just ask family and friends. And somebody said, well, if Paul's teaching that our sin nature is dead after we come to faith in Jesus Christ, well, it might be dead, but it won't lie down. (laughs) We still fight with it. We still struggle. So Paul's not saying, I don't think Paul is teaching that our sin nature is completely eradicated. But what he's saying is the old way of life. The old self, that's what he says the old self, the self before Christ, the B.C. self. That was the self that was dominated by sin, controlled, if you will, by sin, that didn't have a whole lot of resources to fight against sin. That old self is gone. Sin was an enslaving power, and the sin nature was dominant, but a Christian has a new nature. A Christian is somebody, and we read this in John 3, a Christian is somebody who's been born again. A Christian has the Spirit of God, born by the Spirit, Jesus teaches, living inside him, living inside her. So we have a new principle of life that can fight against the sinful impulses and dispositions. So a Christian still struggles with sin, but sin does not have to be an enslaving power. You see, he says that in verse 6, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. So Christ has emancipated us. He set us free from the bondage to sin. So Stuart Briscoe, I like what he says in his commentary. He says this, God has not taken away our ability to sin, but God has given us the power not to sin. And then he gives this illustration. He says, imagine this, that you were placed in front of a TV and you're chained to a chair. And uh, the TV never went off. And through some sort of mechanical means, your eyes were made to stay open the whole time. So you had no choice but to watch TV all the time. 
Oh, it sounds like a terrible fate, doesn't it? But the truth is, we all have the option to turn it on or off. It requires a choice. We can get up and flip the switch. And the application is, in Christ Jesus, we've been given the off switch. We've been given the off switch. We have the ability to say no to sin and then to actually do that, to not sin. So let's think about this in terms of application. For a Christian who struggles with anger, outburst of anger, you know, Satan would like us to, to think that, well, this is just my temperament. This is just my makeup. This is, how, this is how I am, or this is how my father was, and I really have no ability to control this. I just have to accept it, and everybody else has to accept these outbursts of anger. Well, Paul's word would be, remember who you are in Jesus Christ. Remember that you're no longer enslaved to these sinful dispositions. Whether it's anger or lust or coveting or jealousy or envy or slander or whatever the sinful attitude or habits we've embraced or developed, God is calling us to remember who we are in Jesus Christ. To remember that we have, through Him, an off switch. We can say no, and we have the power to say no. We're not powerless. So that's the first part of this. In Christ, the good news is, we've died to sin as an enslaving power. There is hope for us. Now, that's part of our identity. A death. The flip side is a life to be lived. New life. A life lived to God, he says. Verse 4. We've been buried, therefore, with Him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, listen to this, so that we too might walk. In newness of life. You see what Paul is doing here? Is he's saying, I want you as a Christian to think about your life patterned on the life and death of Jesus Christ. His pattern, his life, his example of death and life sets the pattern for you because you're united to him. Your primary primary identity now as a Christian is in Christ. That's your core identity. And that's the message that we need to hear as Christians today in this culture, because that issue of identity is so important to people today. And people have to figure out what their identity is and live out of their identity. And so often, the identity is whatever my desires are. So I can't say no to my desires because that's my identity. But Paul's saying no as a Christian, your identity is in Christ. And he died to sin. Once and for all, he dealt with sin on the cross. It is finished. And you're united to Him. So you don't have to live out, and you shouldn't live out these sinful desires. But you've been saved to walk in a new way of life, which is life towards God. Life lived out according to the Spirit of God, which is in you. You see, the the life of holiness is not primarily negative. When we hear about holiness, sometimes we think it's about what I can't do. It's about restriction and rules it's not primarily that it's primarily positive because of god's grace i can live a different kind of life i can begin to live the life that god intends me to live i can begin to live the life that god intended us to live as human beings we're not going to do it perfect but we've been set on this path listen to what j.i packer writes in his book on holiness he says 
What our world hungers for today is the discovery of what it means to be truly human. The world sees the destructive effects of devotion to the pursuit of money, sex, and power in the lives of many of its heroes. Isn't that true? That's what makes up a lot of our news, isn't it? The destructive effects of devotion to money, sex, power, other kinds of sin. And then Packer goes on, he says, what people long for is is to integrate the various parts of themselves in a way that leads to wholeness. And that's what Christ offers in the life of holiness. A way to integrate all the parts of our life that pull everything together, centered on Jesus Christ, a life of wholeness. So that is what Christ offers. A new kind of life. So Paul says at the end of this section in verse 11, you must consider yourself. You must consider yourself because you're united to Jesus Christ, his life and his death. You must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul has been driving at in this whole section from 1 to 10. And then in verse 11 is sort of the conclusion, not sort of, it is the conclusion that Paul comes to. This is how you're going to apply this teaching about being united to Christ. And it has to do with what's going on between the ears. Think about yourself as somebody who is dead to sin, sin as an enslaving power, and alive to Jesus Christ. Another translation say, reckon yourself. Reckon yourself dead to sin, which is an accounting term, isn't it? How do I apply this to the account? Well, what Paul is saying, you, you apply this to your life. You consider yourself, you reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ, you own that identity because you are one with Christ and you live that out. You commit to that identity. Okay, so that's what he's driving at here. He, he doesn't give a list of things we, we, we have to do or don't do. That does come later in Romans. But he says the starting place is you've got to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. You've got to own that identity. Now, what does that look like in our life today? Claiming this identity and living it out. Well, it, it, it depends on your life stage and where you're at and what sorts of temptations you're facing in life. You know, for some Christians, it might be addiction to alcohol and drugs and prescription medicine. And some Christians might find themselves depending upon alcohol and drugs to get them through the day. And Paul would say to that Christian, you know what, you're not powerless. Remember who you are. Remember that you're united to Jesus Christ. And he has purchased for you a new way of life at the cross. For a Christian who's, who's struggling with lust, maybe clicking on websites that fill him with lust. And along with that comes mounds of guilt and shame. Paul would say to that Christian, Remember who you are. Remember that there's power over the sin. It's not an enslaving power. It may feel like that, but it's not in reality. There's hope. For a Christian in business who, who has the opportunity to, to lie or, or to cheat or, or to undermine a colleague to get ahead because, hey, that's the way the world works and everybody does this and that's, that's how I'm going to climb the corporate ladder. I'm going to lie and cheat and undermine. And you see that culture in your office. Paul would say, yeah, 
but consider yourself dead to that way of life. Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God. It's about claiming this identity that God has given us and walking in this. It's about committing to this identity that we have in Jesus Christ. So you ask yourself, what has this got to do with baptism? Maybe you didn't ask that, but that's the question I'm asking. You see, Paul uses baptism as a symbol of this dying and being raised to new life, doesn't he? Not just as a symbol, but as a means to it, as an instrument of it. He says in verse 3, Don't you know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Every Christian baptism is a burial of sorts. It's a burial and a resurrection. The connection with baptism is this, and we could say a lot about baptism, and we don't have a whole lot of time to do that. But one thing we can say for certain is baptism is an identity marker. It marks us out as belonging to God. If we were baptized as infants, that identity was, was given to us because we were born into a Christian family. And we were born into a Christian community, the church. And so if we were baptized as infants, that identity was bestowed upon us graciously by our parents and by God. Just like infants in the Old Testament, male infants in the Old Testament, they were given an identity marker, weren't they? They didn't have a choice in it. Male infants were circumcised. They were marked as children of the covenant. Now, they had to own that identity. They could reject it. But that was given to them to walk in. Now, if we were baptized later in life, maybe as teens or young adults, that was something that we chose. We chose that identity for ourselves. But whether we were baptized as infants or adults, it's an identity marker. And what God is calling us to do in this passage through the Apostle Paul is to live out that that baptismal identity. I have been claimed for Christ in my baptism. I read a story by a a Lutheran bishop last year, uh, a bishop of uh, Sweden. And he wrote a series of these stories set in the 19th century. It's a wonderful book. And in one of the the stories, there's this scene in the village of two farmers that are beginning to fight over the price of a cow. And it's come to blows and it's come to cursing. Johan and Carl are fighting over this cow. And so they call the rector, they call the pastor. Send the pastor, (laughs) help us mediate this dispute. And so the pastor comes, the old Lutheran pastor comes in and he calls Johann aside and he says, should a Christian man act like you just did? Silence. Do you think that the language you use is befitting a Christian? Do you think that the way that you've treated Carl is befitting one who's been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ? Silence. Well, what do you think God thought when he heard you speak that way and treat your brother that way? No answer. And the old pastor said, I believe God must have thought, I baptized that boy. He belongs to me. But he's not honoring me. He's not living out his identity. And I think that's part of what Paul's saying here. You're baptized. You belong to Christ. He's not giving you grace so that you can sin. He's giving you grace so that you can live a new life and honor him. You belong to Christ. 
So friends, we live in a world that obviously makes sin look very attractive, desirable, normal, and that appeals to our sinful nature. But what Paul is saying here is don't wave the white flag. Don't conform. Hear God say to you this morning, you belong to me. Count yourself dead to sin and alive to Jesus Christ. And we need to say that to ourselves. When we're struggling with sin and we're, we're there on the, on the border of temptation and we're thinking about crossing over, we need to remember who we are. I belong to Christ. I'm a baptized child of God. That's not who I am. I'm His. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, during this season of, of Lent, we think about themes like sin and temptation and repentance and new life. And it's an opportunity for us to examine ourselves. I pray that you will help us to do that. To examine our lives to see what are the sinful habits, attitudes, actions that we've tolerated, that we've let grow up like weeds and we've just allowing them to, them, them to choke out the, the life of your spirit in us. Help us to claim our identity as your child. Give us the grace to repent, to confess, and to live a life that honors you. We acknowledge our weakness, God. We acknowledge our sin and that we need your help in this. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Amen.